You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions to our mailbox at Let's Talk Torah at gmail.com, and I will answer as many questions as I can. You know, I'm a little bit out of order. Um, really, um, this week's Torah portion has us in the middle of Joseph and his brothers, but I really wanted to talk about last week's Torah portion, one of my favorite Torah portions because I teach it to my third graders. So uh, I really want to talk about the whole story, Joseph getting sold, the whole deal, um, but I'm actually going to go out of order because I want to make sure that I get to my story that talks at the end of the Torah portion first. So we're going out of order. Joseph is sold, gets down to Egypt, um, is thrown in jail. The Pharaoh um, has a dream. Joseph goes out of jail, interprets the dream. Um, but how did Pharaoh know that Joseph could interpret dreams? So what happened was when Joseph is in jail, so there's two guys there. They were there for a year. And you have to understand, this was the kind of jail that um, it was really for prisoners of the king. If the pharaoh got angry at somebody, he threw him into that jail, and generally they executed him a day or two later. It was possible the king could, uh, could have him sent off to a different prison, or the king could pardon him. It was one of these, uh, like a way station, sort of. So there were two guys. There was the cup pourer, or the cup bearer. He was like an advisor. They would pour pharaoh his cup of wine, and there was also the baker, and they were each tossed in jail. The, there was a fly in the cup of wine, and there was a pebble in the bread. So that was considered a, a, a major crime. They're there for a year. Um, Joseph comes into their cell, sees that they're unhappy. He asks, what's the matter? We've talked about this numerous times already. We won't go back over it. And um, Joseph... Uh, says, what's the matter? And they say, yeah, we, we had a dream. We don't know what it means. It's not to interpret dreams. And Joseph says, come on. God is the one that sent you the dream. And uh, God can tell me uh, the interpretation. So why don't you give it a shot? So the, the Sar Hamashkim, the Kapoor, says um, he, he was in his dream and there were three, three branches. There was a branch and three vines grew on it and they were, and then the budded and flowered or flowered and budded and then the clusters and then the grapes and he took the grapes and he poured it into the cup of Pharaoh and he put the cup back on the palm of Pharaoh. And, uh, Joseph says, okay, in three days you're going to be free. Um, and then he says, because you will remember me to Pharaoh, which is a little bit strange. Right, because you'll remember me to Pharaoh, he should say, please remember me to Pharaoh, and say I don't belong in this jail. Um, instead, Joseph starts a request with the word because. That's a problematic um, sentence, and the story I'm going to tell you will help us answer that question. But let's just finish this part of the Torah portion, then we'll get to the story. 
So then the the baker says to Joseph, "Okay, my dream. I had three baskets on my head, and there was and there was and there was bread in the baskets and delicacies, and the birds came and ate the bread." And so Joseph says, "Okay, in three days, Pharaoh is going to execute you." So it is interesting, you know, why did Joseph decide? Part of it is his decision. Part of it, God was pointing out to him which one was going to live and which one was going to die. So there's always questions: How do you see? Which one's going to live? Which one's going to die? So one, an interesting answer I saw is the, the one of them does an action. He's doing something. He's taking the grapes and he's squeezing the grapes and he's putting it into the cup. He's putting the cup on, on the Pharaoh's palm or in his hand. right? So he's actively doing something. The baker is just walking with bread on his head and the bread is eaten. He is passive. So therefore, Joseph understood it's the, it's, you know, God wants us to do stuff, not to just be lethargic and sit back and do nothing. We got we to gotta act. We have to do things. And therefore, Joseph said, God wants this one to live. He wants this one to die. Fine. But now let's get to this most amazing story. Historians, it seems, asked, why was it that Napoleon, after he conquered at least that big chunk of Europe, I guess this was before he got into Russia. Um, so Napoleon created this emancipation, and the Jews that had been locked up in ghettos and couldn't get into business and, and, and had a, a most difficult time earning a, a living, Napoleon allowed the Jews out. He allowed them to work. He, gave, he made life easier for them. It wasn't so restrictive. They could be all the religious stuff they wanted, they were able to do. So historians asked, why was Napoleon so kind to the Jews? Very nice question. So the story is told that the Chaim Brisker told his son, the Briskerov, he said, let me tell you why Napoleon was so good to the Jews. So when, at one point, Napoleon was in Lithuania and he was making a major banquet. And he invited, of course, all he wanted, expected, all the dignitaries to be there, and he wanted all the heads of different religions to be there, all to pay homage to the great Emperor Napoleon. Napoleon was an emperor. He called himself emperor, and he wanted a lot of flattery. That's what he wanted. That's what he demanded. And by the way, that's what he got. When you're emperor, you can have whatever you want. So he did. He's looking around the room, I guess, you know, People get up, speech after speech, oh, you mighty, great, powerful, super amazing emperor, whatever. Greatest thing since, I would say since sliced bread, but I don't know if they had sliced bread in those days. In any case, he looks around the room, there's no Jews there. No rabbis. How could it be? How could it be there's no rabbis? So he calls to his uh, few soldiers and he says, there are no rabbis here. I want a rabbi by my banquet. Go find one. So probably most of the Jews knew when, you know, when an emperor is in town with his army, it's safer to hide behind locked doors. Now, I don't know how far out this search stretched, and I don't know how long these parties lasted for, but long enough that the soldiers were, went to a neighboring village. And they fell, found an elderly rabbi, and they said, you have to come with us. Okay, they bring the rabbi to Napoleon, and the rabbi says, hello, uh, your majesty, emperorship, whatever he called him. And uh, Napoleon wants to have a conversation. And the rabbi says, look, I don't know politics. I don't know current events. There's nothing I could talk about 
that would interest you. I don't deal in your circles. I'm a boring person. So Napoleon then, interesting enough, says, you know what? I've had so much flattery tonight. This one flatters. That one flatters. I'm getting a little tired of all the flattery. Tell you what. How about you tell me, this is like up my line, right? Up my alley. Why don't you tell me um, what your Torah has to say about all my victories? Right? You know, Napoleon thought he's being very cutesy. Right? Find a hint to Napoleon's battles in the Torah. So, um, so, uh, so the rabbi says, fine. And he tells him the story that I told you. He tells him the story of the cup pourer who, whose dream is interpreted by Joseph. Joseph wants the cupbearer to remember him to Pharaoh to say, look, I was kidnapped from my, from my land and, and then I was sold as a slave and then I was set up and they, they put me in jail. I don't belong here. Speak to your master to get me out of jail. I don't belong here. And he tells in the verse, he said, the problem is the verse says, because you will remember me to Pharaoh. How do you start a conversation asking someone for a favor using the word because? That's not how you talk. When you ask someone for a favor, you say, could you please speak to the Pharaoh for me because I don't belong here. Not because you will remember me to Pharaoh. what's, What's this because? So Napoleon says, okay, very good question, very good question. So the rabbi says, let me tell you what's going on over here. It is unheard of that a person who is, in those days, when the king threw you into jail, it was almost unheard of to be freed. If you were freed, it was even more unheard of that you should get a position of importance. You're not getting your old position back, certainly not becoming one of the advisors to the king. So Joseph is telling this Sahamashkim, this officer of the cups, of the pouring, that you're going to get your position back, even though it's unheard of. You know why you're going to get your position back? Because you're going to remember me to Pharaoh. In other words, the only reason God is setting this up is to get me out of jail. So you are going to remember me to Pharaoh because that's the only reason these miracles are happening. You're not going to get me out of jail. You'll lose your job. Because you remember me to Pharaoh, that's why you're getting out of here. So Napoleon nods. Okay, very good. So this elderly rabbi says, Napoleon, you're the same thing. You want to know why you're being so successful in all your battles? Because you're going to be nice to the Jewish people. Because you're going to be nice to the Jewish people, therefore God has allowed you to have all these victories, which seems to be not normal that you should be so fantastically successful. So uh, if you ever wanted to know what Napoleon has to do with a Torah portion, um, we have given you the answer what Napoleon has to do with the Torah portion and an amazing explanation at the same time of this because. When miraculous things, miraculous things happen, it's because God wants something from us. If something happens to you, something happens to a person, God helps the person, God heals the person. We'll talk another story about that hopefully coming up. Um, it's because everything that happens in our life to us is because. Why did God do A, B, C, D to me? Because he wants something from me. Whether he's doing good to me, whether I'm being punished, whether it doesn't matter. Everything that's happening to the world is because God wants something 
to the benefit of the Jewish people, something to benefit me and you. So whatever that is, whatever that is, um, it's because. So that's really a great um, understanding and good way of looking at things when things happen. Why is this happening? Because God wants something for me. Uh, the difficulty is uh, we can't always figure it out. We can't always figure out what is it that God wants, but, uh, but that's our job. That's our job. Okay. So I, I, I told you, I jumped ahead that he ended the Torah portion. Now I want to go through the beginning of the Torah portion, and hopefully if I move along fast enough, um, I have another very beautiful story. So we have a story of brothers who can't get along. It's a tragedy. The whole, the whole story of Joseph and his brothers is tragic. This is a very special family. Right? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Now you have 12 brothers. Life seems to be good, and these brothers can't get along. I mean, obviously they want to kill Joseph, right? We know the story. Proud number one, Jacob has a favorite wife. And it seems it's clear that he had a favorite wife. And that favorite wife has two children. And the oldest of those two children is Joseph. And Jacob treats him different. It is true that Joseph was more talented than all the brothers. All the brothers had talents, but Joseph was the most talented. Look, he, he runs the country of Egypt. He makes it a world power. He is very, very talented. Um, but the fact is, Jacob treated Joseph as a favorite son, and the other brothers didn't like it. They, they were jealous. Joseph has dreams. He shares the dreams with his brothers. Why? Now, there's good reasons for it. But again, Joseph himself is instigating. Um, one of the tragedies that comes out from all the brothers fighting is, is later on in history, uh, happens to be historically after uh, the destruction of the temple, we have the ten great rabbis that were killed by the Roman Caesar. And and the rabbi says the, the ten is is connected to the ten of the brothers selling Joseph. And Joseph is considered part of the ten. He's considered part of the problem. Your brothers are jealous of you. You've got to be careful not to make them more jealous. It, it's, it, it, he was a kid. He, he missed it. He should have recognized that he was making the brothers jealous. You don't have to tell him over the story. Go tell your father. They tell the brothers for your father will understand the dream just as well. So the brothers want to get rid of Joseph. Now, at one point, they actually wanted to kill Joseph. How they should be allowed to kill Joseph? There's again numerous answers. But at the end of the day, the brothers felt that Joseph had it out for them, and he was going to push him out of the family. Joseph would, would tattletale on them. He would say, the brothers are doing this Avera, this sin, the brothers are doing this sin. And he kept reporting it to Jacob. Instead of going to the brothers and saying, guys, you're not allowed to do this. And either they have an answer or they don't have an answer. And then they, they could take it up with their father if they wish. Instead, Joseph's going to the father. Okay, you're making problems. You're making problems. And uh, Ruvain at least saves Joseph from being killed by the brothers' hands. Instead, um, Ruvain convinces the brothers to put Joseph in a pit, 
when Reuven disappears, he had stuff to do, and Judah and the rest of the brothers um, decide to sell Joseph down to Egypt. Reuben comes back, it's too late, now they have to go report to their father, and they tell their father, we found this coat, and it's full of blood, because they took goat's blood, because goat's blood, it seems, is similar to human blood. And um, they show it to the father, and he's crying, he's going to cry the next 22 years till they find Joseph again. Joseph is sold down to Egypt, he's bought by Potiphar, Potiphar was the head butcher, whether it means he was the executioner, whether it means he was in charge of the meat, whatever it was, he was an important officer, and Joseph is now working for him. So the verse says, very fascinating, the verse says that Potiphar saw God was with Joseph. What does that mean? What do you mean he saw God? Was, uh, saw God or understood God was with Joseph? Can't be. Potiphar is an idol worshiper. He doesn't believe in God. How is it, how could he possibly, how could he have seen that God was with Joseph? Doesn't make sense. So um, there's, again, different answers, but they all go in the same line. Either everything that happened, Joseph kept saying, God's doing this, God's doing that, thank God, thank God, thank God, God this, God that. So every time Joseph does something, he's successful. He keeps blaming it on God. So uh, Potiphar's going to say, okay, so your God's with you. Fine. Um, but I saw something similar. And that was, it seems, that uh, Joseph was always mumbling under his breath. So Potiphar kept asking Joseph, what are you mumbling? Is this a magic incantation? What are you doing? And Joseph said, no, I'm praying to God. And Joseph is always, always praying to God. So, and he's doing it as a constant reminder that God is taking care of him. So Joseph is constantly praying to God, constantly talking to God. Potiva recognizes that everything that Joseph touches turns to gold. He's fantastically successful. He's now becoming rich and powerful because Joseph is running his entire estate. So he understands that he can blame it on God. So, so the bottom line is that Joseph was living with God through constant prayer. Again, Joseph is living with God. How is he living with God? He's always talking to God. So with that, I saw a beautiful story. There's so many stories talking to God, talking to God, but it's just a beautiful story worth sharing. So there was a, uh, a family in Israel, mother, father, two daughters, and um, they wanted to go to the beach. I, I think this beach was actually by the Kinneret. I don't think in the story it's actually by the, um, by the ocean. I think it's by the Kinneret. But the, there's uh, undertoes there also or waves. Um, the mother turns around. And she, she had sent her two daughters out swimming. And all of a sudden she sees one of her daughters is, is missing. And the other daughter is screaming. She can't find her. She yells for help. She yells. She yells. The guy comes running, running, running. He hears the screams. He's a, I say, I'm a swimmer. I'm an Olympic swimmer. He goes out there and he gets the daughter. And the says, no, that's the wrong one. It's the other daughter. So he puts that first one, gets her to the shore, goes back into the water, swims, 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 gets to the daughter. And he's, he's so not paying attention that he, he, he did rescue her, but he, her head was under the water. 
So he's bringing her back until people yell at her, her head still under the water. Ice. So nervous, he gets her head out of the water, brings it to shore. They start doing CPR. They, they get a pulse. The ambulance, of course, is called. But uh, no, no, it doesn't look good. The, 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 the ambulance driver says she's not going to make it. She was under the water too long. The mother says, I don't care. You're taking my daughter to the hospital. They go to the hospital. And uh, the doctors had told the parents there's no point. Uh, but the next morning, the doctors then tell the parents, you wouldn't believe what happened. The miracle, her numbers started going up. It looks like she'll be fine. And two days later, uh, thank God the girl leaves the hospital. So the parents uh, want to make a celebratory meal. It's uh, called the Sudas Preda. They want to, not Sudas Preda, Sudas Haida, a thank you meal where they can thank the people responsible. They can show the recognition to to everyone and to God that we recognize a miracle was done for us. But uh, to have the meal without the guy who saved their daughter would seem to miss the whole point. So somehow they knew his name, and he was in a kibbutz in the northern part of Israel, and they got in touch with him, and they said, we want to make a special meal, a special party to thank God. We would really appreciate if you could come to the meal. And the guy said, yeah, no problem. So... Uh, whatever it was, a week later, um, they're all around, and the the man who saved the daughter says, "You know, if you don't mind, I would like to talk. <laughs> you could talk all night long. We, we we owe everything to you." He says, "Let me tell you something. I was an Olympic swimmer. I was an Olympic swimmer. I was an amazing swimmer when I was younger. Got older. Went went uh, lived on a kibbutz. I am not religious. I don't know God. I didn't know who God was. I know nothing about God." And um, at some point recently, um, I had had a heart attack, and I, re- I recovered. And I decided I needed to build up my strength again, and I should uh, go back into swimming. So I got back into swimming, and I was building up my strength. And, uh, and sure enough, I'm, I'm passing by where you were swimming, and I hear you crying about your daughter, and I, and I leap into action. Now, let me tell you something. If I wouldn't have gotten back into my swimming mode, if I wouldn't have built up my strength, I would not have been able to save your daughter. There's no way that I would have the strength to jump back into the water and swim out there twice. So I swim out there, and, and I bring your daughter back, and when I realized that I, I had not picked your daughter's head up out of the water, I was devastated. I didn't know what to do with myself. I went home that night. I, I was so upset. Um, here I was. I thought I was helping. And in the end, that maybe I made matters worse. And uh, I went back to the area where I had saved your daughter. And there was no one around. And I climbed up on a, on a rock. And, I, and I'm looking at everything all over. I'm looking at the whole, the whole area, the whole everything. And I prayed to God. I said, God, I don't even know who you are. I don't know how to talk to you. I don't know how to pray. I never prayed in my life. I never kept any of your commands. Um, But let's make a deal, God. Forget what I did in the past. What I did in the past, that's behind us. I now want to serve you. But I am devastated at what happened to that little girl that it's my fault I didn't take her head out of the water. So, God, I'm praying to you. You got to help this little girl. You got to save her. 
And you see I'm praying to you. You see I'm talking to you. I never talked to you before. But now I'm ready to start talking to you. I'm going to continue to talk to you, God. And uh, and you got to take care of this little girl. That was my prayer. Okay. I come then off my rock. I, uh, I, go, I, I get my phone. And I call up the hospital. And I say, you know, there was a girl brought in today, a drowning victim. How is she doing? And they told me, you wouldn't believe it. Um, she was doing terrible. We, we thought she was a vegetable. And just a few minutes ago, just a few minutes ago, her, all the things started beeping and working. And, and all of a sudden, this girl is, is, is alive and well. It's unbelievable. So the guy says, so the second, the minute that I was praying to God is when God listened. So that is the power of prayer. And I thought that would be an amazing story to think about. Anyways, the music is playing. I hope you guys enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to wonderful sponsor listeners. You can't do it without you. Thank the wonderful production team. We have David and Kelsey in the back. I hope I've left some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi T. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next time, don't forget to think about it.